Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable where we speak with people involved in the startup ecosystem. Today we get to speak with Nicole TJ, who is a co-founder and CEO of Travis, which is like Pinterest for travel planning. With Travis, you can save, map and collaborate on all your travel ideas through an all-in-one platform that enables you to curate beautiful mood boards for your next trip and invite friends to collaborate all in one view. So let's get to it and meet Nicole. Well, hi, I'm Nicole, and currently I am co-founder of a startup called Travis. We're based in Melbourne, and essentially Travis is a travel startup. We're a little bit like Pinterest for travel planning, and we're designing a social network for travel planning for specifically millennials and Gen Zs to make travel easy in one place. Now, what we see is that in particularly under 35s, we love a good experience. We love personalizing our experiences. And where we get a lot of our information nowadays is on social media. But what it's really hard is to turn some something that we see as an inspiration point into a fully formed travel plan, which goes through heaps of spreadsheets, amount of workarounds, and we're solving that by putting it in one place. Nicole, I've got to say, when I, I looked at your site, and by the way, your tagline is just fantastic. I remember hearing SlideShare talk about them being the, the YouTube for PowerPoint or some such thing. Mm-hmm. So as you describe yourself, it just captures the essence of it straight away. Equally, when I went to your website and you said why you're existing is to get people out of spreadsheets, I must say I got a little bit fidgety in my seat just as that was happening, but maybe I'm not your target market. But having said that, your site is captivating and I felt drawn in just from the art. I'd love to know how you go to that finer segmentation and then sort of work out who it is that you really want to attract and retain because I'm betting that that's a challenge and that's something that you think about every moment of every day. Definitely. And I think a lot of it comes down to, well, it really all started because it was a pain point and an experience of myself and my partner. Um, So Tom, my partner, is also my co-founder in Travis. We love traveling and it's something that we talk to our friends about. We share inspiration often. Never really thought anything too much about the planning process itself. And there was this one particular trip that we did to the States a couple of years back. And the the planning process, it, it just hit us then how clunky, how overwhelming it was. And we really started to try to solve that problem for ourselves because we were we were confused. We were kind of like, is, what are other people doing out there? Um, are they facing the same problems as we do? What are other apps out there? And once we kind of were hyper aware of that problem for ourselves, we started looking to our friend circles and our colleagues and other people like us to, to get more proof points and validations there. I think that was how we kind of expanded it. And obviously we had to draw insights and draw trends from what we were seeing then. And I think a huge thing in terms of defining who we're solving the problem for, very naturally we, we land to people with between kind of 25 to 35 is our sweet spot. People who spent a lot of time with peer-to-peer networks or social media networks, and that's an inherent part of their day-to-day. I think the other thing with what you talked about with visual and kind of spreadsheets there, it's kind of digging a little bit deeper into what people are looking for in the end-to-end travel uh, experience, which 
doesn't only start when they're on the road traveling. It starts from the first point of a trigger awareness or inspiration about travel. You know, it's something that is aspirational. It's something that's really visual. So how can um, we provide an experience that's going to excite the user in that case, while at the same time providing the functionality, the locations and the maps that's needed for, for travel specifically? It also feels that what you've built or what you're continuing to build has a lot of importance and meaning to people. But as we look at our recalibrated travel decisions and that decision-making right now, yeah. I'd love to hear how you're thinking about that because the if we were to say four bullet points on what makes a great place for us, uh, how many stars and books, whatever it might be, right now we're looking for finer grain and it's not just the quality of the sheets in a, a hotel. So how are you thinking through that and building that into your product and your product roadmap? In terms of what makes a good experience for someone and what they're looking for. And the, I guess, the data that they're going to look to associate to their decision-making today versus 12 months ago. Well, 12 months being COVID and the COVID experience, it's something that we have consistently stayed very close to how people are thinking and feeling about travel. I think where we were 12 months ago when we first went into lockdown in Melbourne, it was definitely a moment of shock. It was um, very confronting for a lot of people. And I think, you know, the first kind of three to six months of that, what we saw was travel or dreaming about travel was a bit of an escape, right? We needed somewhere to kind of take our minds away from what was happening uh, in our everyday. I think as time progressed there and as we started becoming more confident of, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, we started to see that there was a strong kind of pent-up demand, whether it was around, you know, what people were talking about in Facebook communities, things that people were sharing on Instagram all the time. And I think what we are seeing now is that travel is coming back and travel will continue to come back. But how how people travel, we're seeing that people are obviously traveling closer. I don't think that's a surprise at all. But we, we also see that people will be thinking about traveling more frequently. So instead of the, you know, I'm going to take four to six weeks off, go to Europe, <laughs> have this massive trip, I might plan, you know, four different getaways in the next six months because it's so much more accessible and I don't need to take a huge chunk of time. Apart from things like flexibility, safety and, you know, flexibility and cancellations and all of that, I think what people are looking for is accessible destinations that I can get quite easily to that still gives me a sense of escape in, in, in an area that's much closer to, to where I am as well. It's interesting too, the whole work from home. I don't want to call it phenomena, but it's become a phenomena. It was always there, but it's it's something that is more mainstream. And we start to think about how that impacts our travel and how we think about our travel and extending that travel. Mm-hmm. So to your point about more frequent, shorter runs, they may be places that down to that decisioning of what makes a great destination. Yeah. Well, if we're going on just that holiday, that, that four to six week big bang Europe trip, we don't necessarily think about what that means for me accessing work, but maybe we start to think about that a little bit more and the facilities that are provided, that starts to take on a whole different bent as well. Is that something that you're thinking about? Definitely. I think it's, it's a funny little mix because you see, it's particularly this is experience with Australians looking for Australian destinations to go to. It's usually a mix of, I want somewhere regional that I've never been to, that I never really even knew (laughs) what there was there, but it has to have really good Wi-Fi. 
just in case I need to do something, right? A lot of our friends and a lot of who's in our current community, um, and not only are they thinking about trips more frequently, they're also kind of thinking, oh, can I get an Airbnb for a whole week down the coast? Because I want to experience kind of living there, but I'm not going to take time off work. I'm actually just going to work from there. So I think that accessibility and the fact that work from home or remote working has become a norm is going to only drive that behavior even more so now. We've spoken a little bit about your business. I'd love to get your view on being a co-founder. And actually, if somebody was listening to this right now and they were at that point of they've got the really smart idea and they're trying to think, how do we take this to the next step? What would be some of your reflections and maybe considerations that you would put in front of innovators that might be listening to us now? I guess it does depend on where you are with with that little spark, right? But I guess everything does start with that idea, that concept to do something because you think that's an opportunity there. I guess, and, and you know what, you've got good ideas and you've got bad ideas and really you won't know until you take one step further with that. I would say that the step doesn't necessarily need to be a big step at all but the more things that you do to kind of you know prove or disprove so whether it's about you know expanding your user research whether it's about prototyping like a service that might be you know in its most minimum kind of format just to see if there's any interest or any take up to that do you think hard about technology and user experience in that order or you think about user experience and technology in that order yeah user experience then technology there's I mean, they're obviously intertwined in a few ways to that. But yeah, we're strong believers, of course, that, you know, who we're designing for is ultimately for the user and technology or how technology works is a means to support that. In saying that, I would say that at times where also, you know, you also need to be aware of what new technology, whatever that might be, might allow you to do that you never were able to do before. So from that perspective, understanding, you know, the new capabilities that it allows or the limitations that I might have um, upfront can also be a very important, I guess, input into then designing for the user experience to get through that. You spoke about data a little while ago there, and it made me think about this whole question of data versus intuition. And when you go looking for the data, how do you work out or how does it work for you as a co-founder? Are you somebody that's like, it's the data, it's the data, it's the data, or I'll take enough data, then I'm going to bring my perspective into that. So I imagine you're talking about, you know, if it's something that is is new or unproven yet, do you kind of go with strategy, decision-making, building out your, your plans? Interesting question. I think over time we have become more data-driven, but I think with something kind of new that you're coming up with, there is quite a lot of, I, I guess, deductive reasoning that you kind of need to do. And it's it's making informed decisions, right? So whatever your data points might be, if that's, you know, data doesn't need to be quantitative, right? It doesn't necessarily need to come in the form of numbers. It can come in the form of what people say anecdotally without them even realizing that that's a data point. But if you see and hear and, and observe enough of that, then that becomes a data point there. So I think it's definitely a, a mix, but especially for in, in our journey anyway, over the last six months, probably, where we have fought for ourselves, needed to set more structure, clearer objectives, and kind of had regular metrics tracking, for example. It's helped us a lot in making some of the bigger decisions or, you know, prioritization decisions and where you're going to spend your budget on it, you're going to spend it on this, you know, marketing or acquisition channel over another one, or are we going to build this product feature first because we are seeing indicators of more people wanting it or using it or asking for it than something else. So it's an approach that we we have grown into. 
that prioritization is such a, a big element, isn't it? Because everything's important. Everything matters. I liken it to the opening scene of Star Wars where everything is just, just ripping by. Yeah. And so how do you work out which one to grab onto, which one to put down? Yeah. And so when you talk about you started or taking this fresh run at structure, was there an event that took you to that point? Or is that just a natural progression or maturing of your company that you stopped and said, okay, we need to revisit this structure decision? I would say it was a natural evolution of it. We also, you know, in our uh, last six months, especially, we have been part of, you know, kind of like an accelerator program in, in Australia as well that has also made us be more accountable to ourselves within that. So that was a huge factor in making sure we had that regularity implemented. You're right in saying that everything is important or everything always feels really important. But I know what, like, it's always been relatively easy to kind of think about the big picture. This is everything I want <laughs> or everything that users want. But, you know, what makes sense sequentially for a second method has always been the hardest thing to do at every single point um, of, of our journey. So I think for us, six months ago, when we started to, to implement more regularity in that data-driven way of, you know, reporting on our business, that was time. We're so thankful that we did that, but it was also very, yeah, it was a process that took time for us to ease into as well. Nicole, what's your default position? So when you start, do you start strategy, UX, finance? Where's your sweet spot in this? Usually, I would say it's strategic UX, if that makes sense. It starts from how can this be infinitely or 10 times better for the user? Because what's being, what's an unmet need at the moment and how can we make that experience so much more valuable. And then it goes to a strategic perspective and then it goes from a financial perspective because then that's the viability of that. And if something in there is a little bit imbalanced, then we might go through that cycle again. <laughs> Very much harder to wow people with the user experience. I remember reading a paper, I'm going to say it's 10 years ago, it was the advertising firm BDDO and it was called Meet the Screens. And in it, they described the TV as the jester, as it was a one-way communicator. And it talked, it was the early days of the iPad, and they spoke about the iPad as, as not being anything special because there wasn't anything you could do on the iPad that you couldn't do somewhere else. But the mobile phone, they spoke about that, no shock in that. But their point was that you can't go and abuse the connection. And they attached archetypes to all of these. So the jester was the TV, and they spoke about the lover as the mobile phone. And in that, if I give you my data, you better respect that you have my data and give me something that's of value to me because I will just turn you off straight away and never come back to you. It feels to me like you have that burden, responsibility, pressure as well, because when you're dealing with somebody and helping them plan a recreational moment, mm -hmm. and you're bringing this wonderful UX and art that you have and the data behind it, people, they're going to have a short memory as to how well you helped them the last time as they come and return and return. And it makes me think about this attracting and retaining. That must be the challenge of every moment for you. Oh, completely. It definitely is. And I think the, the user experience is definitely where we always start with. But I think looking at what's directly in front of you on the screen is also potentially too narrow-sided view to take as well because I think what sits behind that and what sits behind behaviors are the motivations behind the behaviors and what you know people inherently want to do or how people think about you know doing something and what makes them act on something so I think especially when we think about the user experience it's not just how did I touch something on a screen for example it's 
what motivates them to do a certain thing and what drives value for a certain thing. And I think you're, you're right in saying kind of you know, that first touch moment of user and the single interaction is one thing, but then how do you continue to generate value, whether that's a you know one-on-one exchange or whether that's an exchange within the community, for example, that's the it's a complete challenge and it's another thing that we're building out and always working on as well. I'd love to get your perspective on recruiting as well. And maybe if you could build into that a, a comment around uh, diversity and inclusion and how that runs through your mind as you start to plan for growth and and to bring more and more people into your team. A huge topic, <laughs> which we don't necessarily have all the time for, but because it's a topic that you know, it's front of mind for a lot of people. I think from my experience, what I generally love working with is the more diverse, the better. But of course, there's a lot of facets to diversity, right? I think ultimately what we, we value is diversity of thought, diversity of perspectives, because it helps you see problems in different ways and also solutions in different ways, actually. And then through my team and our working experience has shown us that diversity in thought and diversity in perspectives comes from present experience, whether it's your culture or your background, where you live, where you were born, where you grew up, where you've worked. And that's something that I guess, thankfully, myself, Tom, and so on have all experienced in our career journeys. So that's something that we're always talking about, always open to, and in fact, want to encourage more of. Then as we look to building the team, and you know, right now and over the last year, we've, we've worked with a number of freelancers or interns with us. And what we always look for is, you know, a mix of diversity of thought. That's the best way that I can put it because it doesn't necessarily mean that a person needs to come from this bucket or, or this bucket, for example. So as we look to expanding, whether it's a marketing or development team, we're looking for people who inherently display that in how they approach problems, approach solutions, approach the way that they communicate as well. That's a really powerful answer. In fact, it's about 10 times better than the question that I put to you. <laughs> and that it is about bringing the best of everybody to the table every single time with the focus on the customer. And I think you've just explained that extremely well. You spoke about uh, Accelerator Program. I wonder if you could close for us today giving a view on mentors and coaches. So some tips and experiences and maybe some guidance if there was a person listening as to how they should think based on your experience, think about looking for and finding the best coach or mentor. That's a great question. Mentors and coaches have been invaluable in my career journey. What I have found value in them or what I've needed them for has definitely changed over the years, depending on you know, either my relationship with them or like my stage of the career journey. I would say in terms of how to find a mentor, I think that's you know a question that a lot of people do have. And my experience is probably going to be unique. So I, I don't have any you know, special tips around how to pluck a mentor out of nowhere. I do think the most natural way or organic way is someone that you already have a relationship with or I, I, and ideally already have a working relationship with. Because I think a lot around mentorship, especially within a, you know, a work and a career environment, is development, right? It's your, it's your personal development and growth within a certain field or, or, or expertise area. And I feel like whenever you find the person, whoever that person might be, or it might be a number of people, right? I guess mentor relationships don't always have to be formalized. They can also come in pretty informal ways. You know, do you have a coffee catch up once every quarter, for example, versus someone that you're actively working with and you're catching up with every, you know, two weeks or every month. But I think if you do have that relationship where you are able 
able to support them and they're able to support you back, I think that's when, you know, that two-way relationship works the best. Usually if there's a bit of a structure in there, and, and by that, I just mean I would love for you to be my mentor because I'm working on these aspects. So I would like help on these aspects of my career or personal journey. And I think you might be able to help me provide me with insights that I can't see myself. And from my experience, that's what's been really valuable. No, that's a great reflection. And there's no one size fits all. The thing that I think has been a, a common thread in the responses to people I've asked the question of, it's about having somebody that actually understands the challenge that's in front of you and not just bringing some intellectual pursuit to the discussion. In fact, one of the, the founders I had the opportunity to speak with on a, one of the previous podcasts, I'll summarize what he said, and I think he put it beautifully. Uh, you want someone who's been successful and is successful because you want to draw on that. But you also want somebody who hasn't been away from the grind that long that they've forgotten how hard it can be and it is. Okay. And I think that that's, you actually said that in your words. It's about making sure there's someone there that connects to what you're trying to do and, and to be able to bring that help. And it doesn't just have to be the one person. So I think that the way you've actually shared that is just wonderful. Nicole, it's been tremendous to speak with you and to hear about what you're up to. I'm excited for your future and it feels what you're building and what you have built and what you continue to build is going to be more important to us as consumers as every week and month goes by now. So I'll be very keen to keep an eye on what you're up to, but thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much, Tony, for having me. Thanks for joining me today at the Startups Roundtable. The Travis story is fascinating and I appreciate Nicole giving us a glimpse behind the scenes and into the building of this exciting startup. That's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.